Welcome, and may the Lord be with you. We are excited to have you with us today as we listen to this week's sermon from Blue Ridge Anglican Mission in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Let's listen in. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Our epistle reading today is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32, and it begins, Now I say, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, you'll know that one of the big themes in that narrative is how God made clear to the first Jewish Christians that this new thing called the church was not going to be made up of Jews only, but also the Gentiles the hated Gentiles. The Greek word for Gentile, ethnos, essentially means nation, and from which the English terms ethnic and ethnicity are derived. To the pious Jew, however, the term ethnos had an additional connotation, heathen, pagan, the uncircumcised and spiritually corrupt outsider who was devoid of the knowledge of the one true God revealed to the Jews and whose people had been oppressing the Jewish nation for hundreds of years. So imagine the surprise of the first Jewish Christians when it became clear that God was going to break down the wall of partition and create his church to be a covenant people composed of both Jews and non-Jews. In Acts 11, we read how St. Peter related his experience to the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem concerning his encounter in Caesarea with the Roman centurion Cornelius. God had directed Peter to go visit this pious soldier and preach the gospel to him. And upon hearing the gospel, Cornelius and the entire company of Gentiles were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, as happened to the Jewish church in Jerusalem when Peter preached the gospel to the Jews there. Having seen this astonishing sign that God had chosen this group of pious pagans, Peter asked, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so he baptized them. When Peter reported all this to the church in Jerusalem, their response was, So then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. So not not, uh, only to the hated Samaritans, as was recorded in an earlier chapter, but even the Gentiles. I can somehow imagine them speaking in this Yiddish accent. Who knew? That's my lame attempt at a Yiddish accent. But anyway... The book of Acts goes on to tell us of a division of labor that was made in the apostolic company with Peter, James, and others, focusing their evangelical and pastoral efforts on the Jews, and Paul and his company generally focusing uh, their evangelical pastoral efforts on the Gentiles. It also recounts Paul's three missionaries to the Gentile world, during which he founded a number of churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and Macedonia, which encompassed modern-day Greece. One of these churches in Asia Minor was the church at Ephesus, which Paul visited on his second and third missionary journeys. It's not clear whether there were Christians in Ephesus when Paul first arrived, but it is clear that he either founded it or assumed oversight of it. And since, there was, and since he was the apostle chosen to evangelize the Gentiles, references to the Gentiles pervade many of his epistles, including Ephesians. Chapter 1 of Ephesians in chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul begins his address to this predominantly Gentile hearers, hearers by recounting the spiritual blessings they now have, have in Christ. And he adds that when they believed in Christ, they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 
who is the guarantee of the believer's inheritance until the very day that he or she finally acquires full possession of it at the end of the age. So our salvation, Paul is saying here, is already, but not yet. There is a future consummation, but for now there's this present guarantee of it by the seal of the Holy Spirit. Just as a king used wax in his signet ring to place his authority on a document, so the Holy Spirit authoritatively seals the believer as if to say, this is the authoritative mark of my salvation. Signed, sealed, and delivered. That is, what, that, that is what God the Holy Spirit does when we believe and are baptized, and we can rest secure in that peace. In chapter 2, Paul provides even more encouragement to the Ephesian Christians by telling them that though they were dead in their trespasses and sins, God has made them alive through their faith in Christ. He reminds them that they once were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, they who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How? For Christ himself made both Jew and Gentile one, breaking down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. He has reconciled them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And so he came and preached to the Gentiles who were far off and to those Jews who were near. For through, through him both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. Therefore Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and, and members of the household of God. Paul goes on to say, This is why I became a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, declaring you to be... Declaring you a mystery long hidden, that you are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what is the pl- plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Signed, sealed, and delivered. What beautiful words of comfort that those are. God didn't just come to save the Jews. He came for all of us. Fulfilling the promise to Abraham that in him and his seed, all the families of the nations, the Gentiles, shall be blessed. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then the doxology at the end of chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is, is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As we Anglicans would say, thanks be to God. This is good news indeed. Amen. Christ didn't just come for some, but for all, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, slave and free. You and me, our children and our loved ones and friends. No one is excluded, not even our enemies.
Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2 that God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And St. John tells us that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So yes, thanks be to God. This is the first appropriate response to learning that God has reconciled us to himself in Christ. Thanks is that first appropriate response. In the collect of thanksgiving from the morning and evening office in the Book of Common Prayer, we thank God not just for our earthly blessings, but above all, for thine inestimable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. So we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. But after we have thanked him, there's a second appropriate response to all this. Paul begins in chapter 1 of verse 4, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy. You see, brothers and sisters, Christian faith is not just a mere belief, not just intellectual assent. James tells us that even the demons believe. No, the Christian faith is also a life to be lived in obedience, in thankful and loving gratitude for this inestimable love of Jesus who said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And so in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul begins talking about what this new life of obedient faith in Christ looks like. Our epistle reading today begins as follows. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity, but that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have learned about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So it's like a change of spiritual clothes. We are to take off the old dirty rags of spiritual corruption and death and put on the white baptismal robe of eternal life, a robe that is the very image of Christ himself, as Paul explains in Romans 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so, having put on Christ and having turned our backs on our old, unredeemed way of life, we start doing things like these from our epistle reading. Having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. You see, if we put off the old self and put on Christ, that means that at least at some point anyway, we're going to start looking like Christ. Sanctification is a process and it's a struggle, but through it God intends to shape us 
into the very image of his son. Much of the time, sanctification is a matter of two steps forward and one step back. Can we relate? (laughs) It's often painful, but it's the only way to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. I want to reiterate something here just to make sure sure no one walks away today with the wrong impression. We do all the do's in the New Testament and don't do all the do's, not not to earn our salvation, but because we have been saved. This is a vital distinction, and we always need to keep it at the forefront of our minds. We love God because he first loved us. So inclusion, here's the redemptive order of things, the message of Ephesians in a nutshell. God loved us in Christ. Number one. Number two, we give thanks, and we love him back. And then number three, in loving gratitude, we live a life worthy of the calling we have received. And so my doxology, my doxology today comes from that prayer of thanksgiving I quoted from the Book of Common Prayer because I think it sums up these three things very well. We beseech thee, give us that due sense of all thy mercies, that our hearts may be unfeignedly thankful, and that we show forth thy praise not only with our lips but in our lives by giving up ourselves to thy service and by walking before thee in holiness and righteousness all our days, Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with thee and the Holy Ghost be all honor and glory, world without end. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Blue Ridge Anglican Mission. We are a parish of the Orthodox Anglican Church that is situated in the beautiful mountains of Hendersonville, North Carolina. If you want to learn more, check us out at blueridgemission.org. Now, let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord.